And Father, tonight, will you uh, come and, and give us eyes to see and, and ears to hear and, and hearts that are excited and joyful about and what, you're, what you're at work doing and how you are constantly moving in our lives. And so, man, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, it is intimate tonight. So you guys are in the spit zone, so I just apologize for that right now. Um, Wow, you guys, are, you guys are here, man. And I was like, I didn't know what was gonna happen tonight. I thought, we'll just get in a circle, talk about our feelings, you know, but uh, I'm really glad you're here. And uh, whether you're, you know, you, you got in line too late or you're not about camping out or, you know, or you're just uncomfortable with what's about to go down, um, and I am glad you're here. And so um, if we haven't met, I'm Brandon. I'm really glad uh, that you would join us tonight and, and stoked to continue uh, our second uh, series, our second week in our series called Counterfeit Gods. And so what we're really looking at is, is we're looking at these things that we've called like um, surface versus source idols. And so I go into a lot more detail about it. You can check out our podcast, Redeemer College, Redeemer Lubbock College, uh, wherever you get your podcasts at. Um, you can go subscribe to that. It'd be really cool. Um, send that to people. But, but what we look at is, is not those things that surface and how they play out in our life, right? And so there are these, these actions that usually play out, whether it's anger or worry or anxiety, or maybe we drink too much, or maybe we gossip too much, or whatever it may be. Um, those are symptoms of a source or, a root, uh, or a, a, a root there that we want to unearth, right? Like we want to do the work to go, man, it's a lot, it's easy for me to get up here and go, hey, just do better, right? Give you seven ways to stop drinking so much, right? Uh, seven ways to feel the Holy Spirit while you mow your yard. Like, you know, we could do that. And, and what I found as a kid who kind of grew up in the church was I would do those things and it would just like surface in a different way, right? Like, like I would really try really, really hard and then I leave really disappointed. And, and I felt like God was eternally disappointed with me because I couldn't do the, I'd do the things and I'd still be drawn to sin, and what we were saying in this, in this series is like, hey, there are, there are deep-rooted idols that we hold to. And not like little golden ones. In fact, I think some of the idols that we hold to today are, before we laugh at those people who worship the monkey god or whatever, like before we, like, we should look at the, the silliness of sometimes of what we cling to. We're gonna see that tonight in the, the people of Israel and then Jesus offers a, a better way. And so um, we're, we're gonna look at these unearthing of these idols that are deep within and, and, and how we've taken God, God's intended good things for our lives, right? Like you're gonna hear tonight really good things. Um, like self-discipline is a really good thing, being, being disciplined. But when those things become ultimate and they define our identity, and so our, our language is riddled with, with how we look or the fact that we are disciplined and everything on social media points how disciplined we are, right? Th then they become ultimate and they've, they've, they've taken root in us. And so what I don't want you to hear is stop doing good things, like stop being self-disciplined. That's not what I want you to hear. I want you to hear, how does that self, those of you that are like motivated with self-discipline or you're really, really organized people, like how do you use those things that where they don't overcome us, but rather use them for the glory of God. And so, listen, when I was preparing this series, um, I knew and I was anxious for this week. Um, not because there's a big basketball game and, you know, 
whatever that. But, but I was worried and anxious because, man, tonight we're going to open the hood and see kind of the, the idol that, that, that really has been at, at, at the source of a lot of my sin and a lot of my anxiety. And so you're going to get a sneak peek into me, man. So glad you showed up, right? I may cry and break down, but we're family here, so, so we can do that. And so I want you to hear, I'm not so much talking at you as I'm preaching to myself tonight. And so as I wrestled through this sermon, this sermon it, was, it was painful and beautiful, um, but God is sanctifying things in me. And so tonight, uh, what we wanna do is we wanna look at this source idol of control. So last week we looked at power, and, and this week we want to look at control. And so God, if you're familiar with the Bible and you're familiar with the story of the Bible, like God created this earth, right? Like he created this thing, Genesis 1, which tells us that God created it. When he created it, everything was good, right? And so God says, it's like, he created this and it was good. He created this and it was good. He created man and woman and it was very good, right? And so when he created things, like God meant and intended for his creation to live in loving submission to a good father. That lasted probably, if they were like me, all of seven hours, right? Um, like it, it lasted just a little bit. And, and then they said, no, 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 God, what, we, what you intended for us and what you intended for our good, um, no, we forget you, we want your stuff, right? And so I know you told us not to eat of this tree, but we're gonna do that because we value our identity and our control a little bit more. And ever since that, listen, the Bible is this one story that plays out in a thousand different ways. It's men and women trying to rise to the place of control, trying to use those idols to make us feel better about ourselves, to feel like we have some grip on this world, to, to feel like when things are spiraling out of control, I run to these things because maybe, maybe they'll find fulfillment. And that's been what's going on. And so when we worship control, what begins to happen is that we desire to manage and control the circumstances and surroundings, right? Like last week, what we looked at was power. And what we said was in power, we often wanna use people. And so you wanna dominate people. And so people become a, just a stepstone to your next thing, right? And you're just gonna use them and kind of leave them behind so you can get where you wanna go. It's, control's a little bit different is that I wanna control and manipulate my circumstances and surroundings that, that I think is gonna lead to health and empowerment. But instead, those things are actually leading to loneliness, worry, and anxiety. Anybody, anybody there? Come on, it's like seven of us here tonight. Come on, yeah, yeah, right? Like, like we're really a little more interactive now. I'm mean, down on the floor. Um, like, yeah, like, like worry and anxiety. Like Jen and I were talking just before we came up here about like a, a TikTok solution to like anxiety, you know? It was like, like it's out there. It's out there everywhere. We're, we're dealing with these things. We're dealing with loneliness. We're dealing with worry and anxiousness. And, and to make, what happens is that, is that so often what happens, if you look up here on our, on our little, you know, chart there is, is where others in power will feel used. What begins to happen in control is that they'll feel condemned. And let me, let me tell you how that happens is because, because what's really high in control is self-discipline, certainty, and standards. Are those things bad? No, right? Okay. No, those things are not bad. To be self-disciplined, Right? To be certain, to be, to, to have standards and even high standards are great. But when those things become ultimate, 
What begins to happen is when other people don't live up to those standards, man, they feel condemned that they can't live up to the standard that you've kind of controlled for yourself. And, and whether we mean to or not, because we're driven by worry and anxiety, we end up hurting people along the way, sometimes really unintentionally, but that is the reality of it. And because control is high, we don't want things to go unplanned, right? Like we can lack spontaneity because the nightmare, the nightmare is uncertainty and chaos. Let me tell you how this used to play out for me. I was a pastor, um, lead pastor at a church for eight, uh, seven and a half years. And my control idol is so incredibly high at this point. Okay, I was 25 when I became a lead pastor. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. Um, but there it was, just yelling at people angrily. Um, but, but there was this reoccurring dream, nightmare really, that I had all the time. And I would be preaching in our church and, and there would be people everywhere, which was kind of cool, right? But it was chaos, man. Like people were walking up on stage, like, you know, just kind of playing the guitar. There were babies crying everywhere. People were getting fist fights back here. Like there's like seven people trying to listen. Um, and it was just chaos, man. And I would wake up like breathing really hard going, okay, I wasn't real. I wasn't real, you know? And, and this, is, this is where my control, I would play out in these nightmares of trying to control things because the greatest longing that I had was I had a plan and I needed everything to go according to that plan. And I failed to read that, bio, that verse in the Bible that says, hey, uh, the, the plans of men, like in the end, everybody like dies, right? Like, like there's a way that seems right in the mind and the eyes of man. And in the end, it just, just destroys everybody. And instead of submitting to the Lord, like I wanted this. And so, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn the Bible to Exodus. If you got your Bible, if not, it'll be up on the screen. Go Genesis, Exodus, just flip through, it's right there. Okay, we're gonna take it Exodus chapter 16 and then we're gonna to flip to 32. And so what we're gonna see here is, is this Israelite people that have been brought out of bondage in Egypt. If you're familiar with that, uh, what, was the, what was the movie we were talking about? Prince of Egypt, right? Like there's a great little cartoon. Maybe you saw it when you were a kid, right? That's the story we're talking about. They've come out of that. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've seen God do crazy miracles. Um, and they are on the move in the wilderness towards this promised land that God had promised years and years before. And now they're getting to see the fulfillment of this, these stories that they've heard, right? And so they are in the middle of the wilderness. They're wondering, man, what are we gonna eat? What are we, what's gonna happen to us next? And now, so here we go. We pick up in, in uh, chapter 16, verse one. Look at what the writer says here, Moses. Um, they set out from Elim and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. That sounds like a fun place to be. Um, which is between Elim and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed. All right, two months and 15 days. That's how long we've been on this journey. Um, after coming out of the land of Egypt and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Okay, so 
So here it is. They've just seen God's hand massively at work. They've seen miracles, right? Like they have been on the front end of seeing pillars of fire and, and a Red Sea parted and they have seen God move, but how quickly they are just like us to forget what God has done in our lives, right? To forget how he's been faithful. And, and they, they are now hungry. And, and a lot like me, when I'm hungry, I get a little anxious and angry, all right? And here they are, okay? So if you think it's a one-off, let's flip to Exodus 32 now. Go to Exodus 32. So they're continuing on this journey in the wilderness. They're continuing here. And this will be a familiar story if you grew up in church. If not, that's okay. Um, it's just this story of, of Moses going up, getting Ten Commandments. He's on top of the mountain. The people haven't seen him for a little bit. And what begins to happen is they begin, this control idol begins to kind of freak out for them. And look here, uh, starting in verse one. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron. All right, Aaron is Moses' brother. He's kind of like the highest priest at this time. Like he is the guy, all right? And they said to him, up. So <laughs> it's funny, it's up. Um, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. All right, now fair, in fairness, he's on a mountain that's got like lightning and fire and it's kind of going crazy up there. And Moses is in the midst of that. So that's what they're looking at. So Aaron said to them, take off your rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off their rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool and made a golden calf. And they said, listen to this crazy. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I mean, this is, and then Aaron says, when, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, right? So, so here we have these things, these two kind of stories where we see a couple of things when it comes to control. We see these things coming out of the people of Israel. One, the first one is they would rather be controlled by an oppressive king than a God they could not see. So, so whether that was in Egypt, right, where they're like, hey, man, uh, we should have just died in Egypt because at least in Egypt we got fed, right? At least in Egypt. Now, they forgot that they got beat. They were enslaved. They were imprisoned. I mean, they, they basically were, were worked to the bone and just used as, you know, pretty much like animals. And this is what they, they would go back to. Now, now, before you scoff at that, think about those things that you would rather be oppressed by. Right? Like, think about those things that promise you freedom, but in the end, haven't delivered on that, but you've forgotten that. Whether that's been substances, whether that's been position, whether that's been relationships that you've tried to control and manipulate because they promised you something, and yet they didn't. They didn't fulfill. This was where they, they were like, hey, we'd rather have control over the food that we have. At least then we knew rather than worship this God who doesn't, who seems distant and far and we can't see him yet. <laughs> yet he's, he's guiding them by a pillar at night, a fire and this cloud in the day. The second thing is they complained and attributed praise to the things that only oppressed. 
When we can't control our surroundings as we begin to complain about those things or we attribute praise to those things that oppress. I mean, look what they said about the golden calf, right? Hey, worship these things, man. These are the things that brought us out of the land of Egypt. It's really weird to me because they just like made them right there. It's like, no. Both Pharaoh and the golden calf, they attributed praise to them. Golden calf brought them out of the land of Egypt. Pharaoh kept their bellies full. And when control goes, we begin to freak and attribute things where they shouldn't be. Third is that anxiety and worry began to run their lives. When they lost control of what was happening, and it wasn't the straight path into the land flowing with milk and honey, right? Into this beautiful land that God had promised. When that didn't happen the way they thought it should, worry and anxiety began to set in. And listen, we're not talking about like clinical anxiety here, okay? Like, I just, don't, don't, I'm gonna say anxiety a lot tonight. Don't, don't, don't correlate the two, right? Because, because one is like, hey, there's help and, there, and, and I'm glad there's some of you guys that are here. Like, you know, you're getting help and that's great for, for clinical, but this is more that anxiety just comes with circumstances around you. And so I wanna differentiate that, right? Because there's some of you that are like, I'm really trying, but... You know, um, man, that, that, that's good. You're, you, that, you need to get help. But there's some of you that are like where I am right now. It's just like, I look at circumstances and I look at control around me and I just, oh, right? And I just want to give into those things. And so let me, I want to differentiate that here. But, but anxiety and worry, like they're like, hey, should we just be brought out here to die? Hey, that Moses guy who's been leading us all these, all these days, like we don't even know what happened to him. So we need to take things into our own hands. We need to take things into our control. And then, third, and then fourth, finally, is that frustration and anger that they could not get control of the situation. Moses is on the mountain and they were completely out of control. They were completely out of what they thought things should have looked like. And chaos and uncertainty seemed to be running and they were like, and they began to become angry. You, up. You're gonna do this for us. And what happens is when we worship control, we seek to control. And so then what begins to happen is we worry that we don't have enough control. So then we want even more control and that then we worry even more and then we try to get more control and we worry more and we begin to be enslaved and driven to order in every aspect. We want the people around us to do what we want them to do. We want the situations around us to do what we want them to do. And if I can't have it done right, I will do it myself. The way it plays out when you're in like a position of, of managerial powers, you begin to micromanage. Anybody been there? You, you know, you're like, oh, that's my boss, man. Hey, you guys that work for me, don't, do, don't say that, right? Um, but you've been in that position where you've had that person who just seems to have a, well, that's because they're, they have a control idol. What do you micromanage in your life? Is that we begin to do this. And so, so this often turns this desire for certainty and we try to control ourselves. We try to be more disciplined. We try to control our environments. We try, to, we try others that, that this isn't necessarily dominance over others, but it's simply taking control of our situation. And so whether you're in a meeting, like you won't open it for dialogue right? Because that makes you really uncomfortable because you don't know what people are going to say. And they may actually have like good feedback, right? Maybe you've done a group project. 
Like, I don't want, I don't want to hear what they have to say. Or, or, or you, you, you find yourself getting that certainty begins to run and chaos begins to set in. So you just get really, really organized, right? And all your pins are facing the right direction and your calendar is all color coded and, and like, like, that's good. But then it just becomes about the calendar. And I have no room for grace because I can't lose control. I can't have room when my, when my calendar doesn't match up with real life because I don't have control. Or maybe you're like me, if, if you feel like you're losing control of one area in your life, it feels like the bottom is dropping out of every area of your life. And then you start seeing things through these lenses of everything is out of control, everything is chaos. And really, it's just this one situation that needs, needs a little nurturing and a little care. But we just let it spiral out of the way and, and we feel like we're failing on all fronts. And so, so what begins to happen is you begin to pull away and you become socially distant from others because what happens is it's easier to control smaller settings than it is to actually live in community. And so the lie that Satan says when, when control and certainty and chaos begin to set in is, hey, peel away from people and just worry about yourself. When the reality for any of these source idols is I have to be in community. It's why we shove you guys to grow groups. It's why we constantly are talking about being in community, in GCs. Well, I wanna see you guys growing together because that's where it is. Because when we pull away and become socially distant, I think so often we, we begin to believe the lies and we get ruled by that worry and anxiety. And, and some of you like today, you may be even frustrated or angry when you can't control the situation. And you just like the Israelites just lash out with unreasonable things. Like this is me. I'll just internalize it and it will just be all over me, right? I don't do a good job. If you don't know me, um, like I don't do a good job of covering up my emotions, right? Like they're just here. You know I mean, if you've been around here, you know I yell a little bit. So like I get passionate and cry a lot, you know, mostly like sports movies. So, but I can become really frustrated or angry when I can't control the situation or you get really uncomfortable and you just want to be over. You're not in control of the meeting that you're sitting in or the class that you're sitting in and you just sit there with this uncomfortable angst and worry because there's some guys in the back talking while the lecturer, while your professor is lecturing, right? And when you come to that reality that we can't control, when we come to that reality that we control very little in our lives, like it came to me when, when I was in pastoral role and you just saw this congregation just kind of shrinking and shrinking and you felt, man, I'm doing the best I can. And, and you either go a couple of ways and I think we usually run to one or two options when we feel like, when we realize we don't control actually a whole lot in our, in our lives is we either just give up, we just kind of throw our hands up and like, yeah, whatever, man, whatever. Or, we just try to control everything. And we end up being exhausted and terrified. But listen, what if, what if those were not the only two options? What if when chaos and uncertainty and control began to set in, what if there was this other option 
that there was something that didn't give us over to oppression, that didn't give us over to enslavement, to fear and seclusion and to being scared. And this is why you came, right? It's because we were just like, hey, all right, there's the facts. See you later. Go watch the game. Like, this is why we're here, because the gospel of Jesus, like, like speaks to this. Like, it actually casts our minds and our hearts to a place that gives us hope that we don't have to live in or be ruled by these emotions and these feelings. Flip to Matthew 6, if you don't believe me. Jesus is in the middle of the longest sermon that he preached. It's a lot longer than this one, all right? And he is reorienting these people's lives the way that things should be. Like, like here's the gospel. We'll read this in a minute. But here's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus coming and bringing light to all these things that these people had heard in the Old Testament and all these places of brokenness that they had seen and been a part of. And Jesus said, no, no, I came so that you might actually find fulfillment and joy, not in what you're doing, but in a gospel that restores like, this is why Jesus came, not to be an example, but to actually be the sacrifice on the cross that was perfect. And not just die, but, raise, but be risen again to show that, hey, I didn't just die to that sin, I actually conquered it. And I'm gonna impart that to my people. Like, if you're not a Christian here tonight, and you're like, man, I see a bunch of crazy crap about Christians all over social media. Listen, here it is, man. Christians is simply this. As messed up and as hypocritical and crazy as it sometimes is, it's just a bunch of sinners who have been reconciled by a good God who are being constantly chipped away at for his glory. He's empowered us to see life new and in a way, and this is what he's gonna say here is not just do better, but rather there is a new way. And look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 25. It's funny, this title of my Bible says, do not be anxious. Okay, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Awesome, right? Like if you were to stop there and feel like a total bummer, right? If that was like, just don't be anxious. Great, tried that, Jesus. I'm struggling, but he doesn't stop there. He keeps going. And that's, that's good for us. Good news for us. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about the body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Like consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is sown in the oven, will he not more clothe you, O you little faith? Therefore don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You. I like how we use that slide. Here's what he's saying. 
eyes up. Because what happens when, when our source idols are controlling us is that we are navel, like we look down. Like we are constantly looking down and inward. And he's saying, look up and remember. Re remember what Israel failed to remember, right? Like he even addresses it there. Don't be anxious about what you will eat, right? Like he's calling out the Israelites in Exodus 16. Remember when those guys were anxious about what, was, what they were gonna eat and they wanted to go back into oppression and wanted to go back into slavery with Pharaoh? He's saying, hey, remember that. Remember that, that there is a new hope that will be offered here. And he begins to speak these truths into their lives. He says things like, hey, remember the lilies of the field, right? Hey, they're flowers. I take care of them. Aren't you more valuable? Worry doesn't give a day to your life. As much as I think it does, it just steals joy. Like it doesn't give anything. It actually takes, like God cares, which is why I think I so often want to live in control of my life is because I really don't trust and believe that he cares about me. Because I think some of us have been told our whole lives, if you don't look out for you, no one else will. And that like translates over into our walk with Jesus is that we don't trust him. He says the Gentiles seek after all these things. Basically, like if you're not ethnically Jewish, right, in here, like if you're not ethnically Jewish, you're a Gentile. And Gentile at this point just meant the rest of the world, right? Everybody else. So this is what he's saying here is the world only reinforces this thought of pursue control. And what we see in Jesus is later on in the Gospel of Matthew and in all of these Gospels is we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's gonna go to the cross. And he says this crazy prayer like, like may this cup pass from me. <laughs> I got a perfect brother out there I don't know about. Like, is there another way, God? But then he says, not my will, but your be done. And what Jesus is saying is, not my control, but rather I submit to you because you're good. Remember what God intended the way the world to be in loving submission to him and relationship was perfect. Remember that from Genesis one? Jesus is showing and reiterating and recalibrating and reconciling that back. Not my will, I'm gonna lay it down. And Jesus on the cross, like sometimes I think about the pain that he suffered on the cross we think about all the things that go on on the cross and listen, Jesus is willing himself to stay on the cross. Like at any moment, Jesus could have hopped off that cross. You get that? He could have just taken control of the situation. Angels, I'm done, too much. Let the people burn, right? Not really, I'm just joking, he didn't, okay? Like he didn't say that. But he's on that cross willing himself to stay there because he's submitting to the ultimate plan and will of the Father showing us that control. Like when he could have taken this, he goes to the loving submission of the way God intended things to be, surrender. And he's showing us the way that life is to be designed and to live. So look at this. He says, here's the remedy. Here's the remedy. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in verse 33. And here's what that means. Here's, three, here's the three things we're gonna leave with and we're gonna land the plane. We're gonna sing and we're gonna be dismissed to go joyfully out of here. 
To seek the kingdom is to first seek the king. So when you read the Bible, what are you looking for? Are you looking for morality? Are you looking to be just a better person? Or when you open the scriptures, you go, and God, show me you. Like, are you seeking the king? Seeking to love him, to know him, to submit to him, to trust him. That he has chosen you, that he cares about you, that he is guiding you, and then ultimately he will sustain you even when uncertainty and chaos seem to be ruling you. That's what the Bible is showing us. We can't submit to a king that we don't know, though. You have to know him. You have to seek him. Secondly is this. To seek the kingdom is to pray for kingdom causes. I'm not saying that we don't pray for our needs. I mean, I am on my knees, often praying for my needs, especially in seasons when anxiety and worry and control are, are just right there in front of me. Like, I'll pray for... But if it ends there, I keep my eyes here. To seek the kingdom is to pray for kingdom causes. The Lord's prayer says, your kingdom come. God, restore all the broken things. We pray not just for our own needs, but we pray for others. And we pray that God would reconcile and he would come and he would bring wholeness and healing. And he may use us to do that. And then third is this, we seek the third one is we speak the gospel. To seek the kingdom is to speak the gospel. To live on mission, to bring others to the kingdom, to introduce them to the king. Man, when, when we are seeking the kingdom, there becomes this flaming desire that God be known and be glorified. Because we're not controlling the situation anymore. We're gonna talk about approval and how that enters into our evangelism sometimes, but it can hinder evangelism. Control can hinder it just as much because we wanna control how people respond. We wanna control those things and to, to seek the kingdom is to speak the gospel. When we seek this, what's happening is that God is expanding our vision and our hope. Now what can seem to be so crucial to me is actually scaling back and showing my right place in history. When I am controlling and trying to control my own little world, I'm in this bubble. And when I seek the kingdom, what God actually does is he begins to scale my vision back and he begins to show me what he's been doing for all of eternity. And now all of that is moving towards his purposes. And that's something that I go, joyfully, I wanna to submit to that. And rather than our self-worth being defined by our discipline or our mastery, our worth is found in abiding in Christ. And meaning comes from who he says I am and who he really is. So I'll end this like we've ended again last week and we'll end next week and we'll end next week with these questions that we want to ponder here as we enter into this time of worship. Is what makes you feel most at self-worth? Like maybe, maybe power was it. Maybe control is it. Maybe you're like, they're all of them, Brandon. But what makes you feel the most self-worth? 
Like when that thing happens, what gives you the most self-worth? And is it fleeting or is it secure? Where do you, when things get difficult, where do you go for comfort? Life's difficult, right? Relationships are hard. And it's just difficult. There's no way around it. It's not easy. Where do you run for comfort in those times? And is it over-promising and under-delivering? And then lastly, what is your hope really in? When you leave here, what is your hope really in? Acts 17 reminds us of this about God. If you would go read Acts 17 tonight, it would be a joy to your heart. Acts 17 said, God created the boundaries, the allotted times, and he has purposed and predestined this time for you where you are right now. And how secure is that in the midst of a world that seems chaotic and our control idol is on full blast? The beauty of what he's doing in us. And let's pray. Yeah. So I want you to take a minute just to sit there. Hank and, and the guys are gonna come out and just start, just start playing for just a second before we enter into worship. And Listen, during this time, like, there's space in the room, man. So, so like, just take some time to space out if you need to. And as we respond in singing, there's gonna be guys in the back, staff members that would love to pray with you. And if you, remember, we can't do this in seclusion. We've got to do this in community. We've got to take those steps to be vulnerable at some point and trust. And so where are you in those questions tonight? Father God, will you reveal to us tonight? Will you reveal to us those places where we have let these idols so rooted in our lives that they are controlling us at every turn. God, will you begin to unearth those things? Will you begin to do work in us past just the surface ways they're playing out, Lord? We wanna die to these things and live to Jesus because you offer better. The beauty of who our King is, is secure and safe. So tonight, will you do that in our students? And in this group tonight, will it compel us both to find joy and anticipation and have our affection served for you that then lead us to bring others into that, God. And by your grace, those of my friends out there that are in this control idol with me, will you, will you relieve the lie of worry and anxiety? We'll fix it. Will you relieve the lie that just more control will do the job? And we just let us like Jesus in loving submission to the Father say, not my will, but your will be done. As for your glory, the good of your people, we praise things. Amen. Amen. Let's stand, guys, and let, let's sing. Let's sing here to Jesus on our way out.